Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, Central London Saturday night of lovely comedy, and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard, and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC, James Ross, and this is Quantum Leopard. this episode we have the wonderful Tony Law uh, his set was recorded on the 19th of February uh, 2022 by Anirudh Oja at 2 North Down and the interview took place on the 20th of June 2022 uh, Tony's a bloody lovely bloke and one of my favourite people in comedy uh, consistently unpredictable as a performer while also being of strong moral character um, and I think he's really got uh, a fresh perspective on alternative comedy and matters of rising uh, I thought this was a really fun set and a really interesting chat about it uh, and I knew minutes into the interview that this was the one that I wanted to open this podcast with uh, quick contact warnings for COVID, online radicalization, uh, mental health, etc., etc., and enjoy. I'm uh, super bloated these days. I had pork twice today. Oh my God, I'm bloated. So, man, good to be out. You're a maritime people. You love that sound. Classic tone zone. I saw some of you, you moved towards the coast just then. You're like, fuck my ships then. Because oh. it's in your DNA. It's what you do. You go get on boats and you go around the world and you fuck with it. <laughs> then you feel all bad about it later on. Oh. Man, I love doing that. I have very few bits of material, so... All right, let's go. Oh, man, I am so fucking bloated. But uh, no, I, 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 this, I, uh, I came out of the lockdown relatively late. Uh, lost a lot of friends. So nobody told me. Uh, this is only the eighth time I've worn shoes in two years. I don't like them. They're too restrictive. They're very huggy on the top of your foot, aren't they? I don't like them at all. Uh, oh, man. And I mean, huh, during the lockdown, man, I forgot how to dress. I mean, did we wear top hats? Because I own a top hat, so I guess I must have worn it. Tony, please tell me you didn't bring that top hat just for that bit. I did. I brought, I probably, if it wasn't for the lockdown, I couldn't bring this top hat out. Why is he talking in a Southern American accent? Because I don't know who I am anymore, you guys. Those lockdowns are really hard on us. No, but you know what it's like. You just wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to talk like that today. That's all it is. I've, I've started talking like that. I feel good talking like that. I'm going to talk like that all day. But if you start too early in the day, that's you fuck for the day, ain't it? You're in BP Petra. You're in there. You go, I want them cookies you guys got. I know you're working in conjunction with M&S, and you make a nice cookie in here. 
I want them cookie in here right now. And you talk like that, and you, you know, and it just makes you, <laughs> it makes your day a little bit funner on there. You talk, talk like that, you talk like that, you know. Oh, glad. I phoned ahead to two North Down. I said, I'm not doing the gig unless you can make sure that the lights are brighter than the sun. <laughs> right on top of my sleepy eyes. If you want to get places in comedy, Tony, you need bigger eyes. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I've been play I'm playing the gig. I'm coming out of the gates, playing it like everyone's seen me before. What a fucking tosser. What a tosser. What a fucking tool. <laughs> no, because there'll be people, uh, I mean, uh, some of you have seen me before. That's why you've tolerated it so far. And some of you are new to it, and maybe you're looking at your buddy going, what the fuck, is this all it is? Yeah, this is all it is. Yeah, he just shouts the bed and moves. I'll be honest with you, he moves around a lot less than he used to. But, uh, <laughs> no, if you're new, my name's Tony, and I originally come from Canada. I don't even know how I used to speak. 30 years I've lived on these islands. 30 years I've lived on these islands. 30 years. I've lived here on these islands, and I've still not picked a local accent. I always thought I'd get one, because I like that one there. That's me fucking favorite. That's me favorite, but I can't fucking sustain it, you know. Can only do it two minutes, and it gets all fucking clown. Uh, hello. <clears throat> I've always been hackier than people thought, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, dress it up, but, uh, no, hello, I'm Tony, I come from the generic northern area. No one sounds exactly like how I'm talking, but because I'm foreign, you're letting me have a go. Because, you know, all the Hollywood actors, they come over, you know, <laughs> Can't even say Hollywood without making yourself sound like a farmer. All oh, the Hollywood fucking actors, you know, no, but they always come over and uh, when, it's, when they want to win an award, they come over and do an English accent. Could do an English accent role, and they pick one or two. They pick a, oh God, Cicely, guys. Oh my God, oh my, pa my parents are from London, Cicely. Oh my God, award please. Oh, oh my God, they sounded like, almost like someone I, uh, they do that one, don't they? Or they do, I'm a fucking gangster. Those are the only two they do. They never come over, and here comes the hacky bit. Strap in for some classic hack. They never come, Tom, Tom Cruise never comes over and is like, uh, oh, what's one of the movies he does? I'm, I don't care. <laughs> Tom Cruise doesn't come over and go, oh, fucking, I'm doing that thing I'll do that I'm famous for in movies gonna climb up that fucking building <laughs> and go on computer fucking so hard. Uh, fucking jump in jet and fly over maybe. Gonna parachute down, have fucking fight. <clears throat> he doesn't do that, does he? So, uh, oh, I should better check my notes. Yeah, no. Uh, that's exactly how it's supposed to have gone so far. Uh, I was hoping for better stuff, too. I've written down here, what a year, huh? I think that's an old set list right there. That's an old set list. What a year, huh? 
And I've spelt it H-U-H because I reckon that's what your shoulders do. Is that two H's? Huh? Uh, this is riveting. Uh. Hey, Nora, I've been going around the country there doing, doing shows, and I always open up if there's any old people in. There's none in here today. But I'm not going to stop doing what I've been doing. Hey, good to see so many triple vax people in. Yeah, like, that was only funny when it was only old fuckers. Now everybody's triple vax. That fucking ruined it for me. I liked when there was a divide between the generations. Like, it was the first time I ever felt happy with being old. I was like, I am fucking safer in a fucking house. Plus, I, I had it once before the vaccines. Terrible. Two vaccines, had it again. Not so bad. And then uh, boosters. I could swim in COVID right now. I get a, ah. Now I get to fucking get this guy. Woo! Oh, man. I, I, may, I hope we keep getting boosters. Mainly because I love the queue. I love queuing up with strangers. I love it. I don't, you know, my social life is starting to shrink. You know, it'll happen to all of you. You know, when you start getting tired of people. The worst thing you could do is have a partner you love and two kids you adore. Because that's all you need. <laughs> fucking hang it out with you guys. But I'm a terrible example of friendship. But, uh, so... <laughs> ah, that's all I am. But, um, they don't need a house. Anyway, so... No, I remember, I, lo I love the queue and you get chit-chatting to, because uh, I, I lie. Um, I <laughs> I, I lie and say I have, a do I have a doctor in the Midlands where my mother-in-law lives. It's a country doctor, and I pretend I live there. I'm a, I'm a horrible person, but it gets me out into the country, and I get in the big, long queue, and I remember my first queue for my first vaccine. It was a long time ago, but I remember that, that, big old, that big old queue. And I remember going, holy fuck, this would be boring if you'd forgotten your phone. And I forgot my phone. What a terrible day to forget your phone. I had to start using my imagination. Uh, mm, uh, it's like the first time you give up porn. Uh, mm, uh, 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 I know I'm a better person, but... Mm, uh, uh, and then that happened. Uh, and then what happened? So I was doing that in the lineup, the queue. And then it dawned on me, I got super bored, and I didn't want to make conversation, I thought, fuck that, I don't know anything of these people. And then, and then it dawned on me, everybody in this queue is the exact same age as me. Mmm, time to start judging. Yeah, look at these fuckers. Some of them have given up. Well, look at you, you got your Sandy Tuxfig hairdo and your chinos. Kill yourself, brah. Woo! I'm in a top hat, winning! Oh no, so uh, I don't know what I was talking about vaccines. I didn't get your fucking government vaccines. I'm not like you, sheeple. No way, man. I didn't get your Astra Martin. Oh yeah, I'm being disrespectful towards vaccines right now. I didn't, I didn't get your funky cold Moderna. Oh shit, what was the third one? Yeah, Apple Pfizer. <laughs> I didn't get your Apple Pfizer. No way, man. I got my vaccines off the dark web. 
because at least you know what you're getting. And what you're getting is a serum by a guy called Ilyich in Moldova, who also sells me Bitcoin and guns. And he may have accidentally taken out a hit I didn't really want. <laughs> That's my favorite part of my set. It gets a bit wordy at the end, but I'm keeping it in. A lot of people probably think he's going to go home and jot down some notes and tighten that up. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to keep that just how it goes. It's all about the vaccine. That's, that is my take on it. But, uh, <laughs> no, the, uh, you know, oh, still, still carrying my lockdown weight. Oh, it's so depressing. It's my lockdown weight. My lockdown weight. You can tell that I'm a caring person because I put Ys in words where there's no Y there. And I also tilt my head and squint my eyes. <laughs> no, but I've got my lockdown weight. Oh, this fucking lockdown weight. I just can't shift it. This damn it. It's the exact same weight as before the lockdown. <laughs> but finally a name. <laughs> 11 years, this bloody lockdown weight. <laughs> I can't shift it. Uh, I'm pretty sure I wore these trousers at some point in my career because I own them, but uh, they kind of force things out and in and out. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I, I, I learned a lot, actually, during the lockdown. I think I grew as a person. <laughs> I think I did. You know, I remember there was one time where I was sitting on the sofa with my uh, couch, as it should be called, but I sitting on the sofa. I was sitting on the sofa with my wife and two children, and uh, we were all playing Minecraft together. And I, exactly. There's so many gigs that don't do that. And, but it was at that point when we were all playing Minecraft, and I thought, fuck, I really need to make sure this marriage works. Because I am not hitting the dating scene anytime soon. So what are your interests? I like playing Minecraft with my wife and two kids. Can I fit that in? <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. So, uh, no, but we were sitting there and uh, milestones just happened, you know, and you're sitting in, uh, you're sitting in there and we're playing Minecraft. All of a sudden I heard this ping. And I thought, fuck, my back fat has finally met in the middle of my back. <laughs> That's when it happened. Ping. I didn't put anything in the microwave. Ping, my back fat! It's, I'm finally whole! I feel like a full guy now. Look at me, I'm poking my spine. I'm poking my spine. It doesn't hurt at all. Because my back fat's protecting me. It's my back fat. Now, if you out there have back fat like me, and you also love dams, then bath time is the time for you. What you do is you get into the bath and you create a lovely tight seal in the, in the middle of the bath, creating two separate water tables of different depths. Oh, it's much shallower down there than here. I am a dam. Yes, my love, I am a dam. I'll close the door, fine. 
It's one thing or another. Now, nowadays, it's the dad. I am a dad. Ooh, better make some clean electricity. Oh, no, not too much, Tony. You don't want to flood all the villages. I am a dam. I am a dam. I am a dam. Nothing bad could happen to me, a dam, here in the Ruhr Valley in 1942. Oh, no, this routine's changed gears, hasn't it? I am a dam in the Ruhr Valley. You don't seem like a crowd who needs me to say it again. <laughs> Some of them three times. Ruhr Valley. Oh no, that sounds like a Lancaster bummer. How do you know it's a Lancaster bummer tone? Because it sounds exactly like four Rolls Royce Merlin engines strapped to the same fuselage. I'm starting to get an idea why you're not on TV no more. That's too specific. And there's only ever like two or three guys in the back going, yeah, he's quite right, actually. Um, that's, uh, that's uh, exactly how a Rolls-Royce Merlin engine sounds in isolation. And then you, you, know, you times that by four on the same fuselage, times that by a thousand, and you get an idea what it must have been like at nighttime at Jerry World. I also like Formula One. I'm making fun of people that are me. Bomber command, bomber command, this is your pilot speaking. You can tell I'm the pilot because I'm posh. And we're the only ones allowed to fly a plane in this day and age. I know, I could, I'm the rear gunner and I'm five foot two and malnourished. I'm the only one who can fit into this tiny fucking compartment. I'm also working class. I'm in another part of the plane that's small. That requires people who don't have access to as much fucking calories per year. I can't do the accent, but you get the idea. I'm from the south. Oh, and I'm a Geordie, and I'm in another part of the plane. Really making a good comment on the class system of Britain. I'm I, I fucking nourish there, like fucking. I'm also there, like fucking, ye fucking bastard there, like mum. Uh, that's in tribute to uh, Alfie and Gertie, my grandparents. The only people I knew growing up who ever talked like that. And for me, they were always old. Like, they moved to Canada for a fucking born there, like fucking. And so the only people I knew who talk like that were old. So I assume that's what happened when you got old. <laughs> You're 69 years old. Start talking to your fucking heads there, like, man. First time I went to Belfast and met like a little cousin uh, who was like nine years old, blew my fucking mind. I was like, holy fuck. She's, she looks up at me, she goes, what are sex sexes? What? Oh, wizard. 
You're so wise and old and also I didn't know what six sexes were. Turns out it's uh... Wow 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 oh, Tony is a real it's a real kick in the ass of the classes down there. Hey, don't forget about me. I am Polish escort fighter pilot. <laughs> you guys won't forget about our war effort. Uh, you, will f you will forget about our war effort. And the only time it'll come back to your minds is when my grandson gets kicked out. And uh, he's also HGV driver. And you will have petrol crisis. Uh, that's that's when that came. That's when I first come up with that bitch. Was <laughs> all the Polish, uh, <laughs> and then there was that moment you thought, "Fuck, should I become an HGV driver?" Oh, thought about that for months. Did not act on it. <laughs> Did not act because I just kept thinking, as soon as I fucking do it, I fucking walk to stop. Fuck. Fuck. That's how I do everything. That's why I'm not. Uh, anyway, oh. I was gonna do too much sharing there. It's gonna, oh wow, that was the money shot saws about that over there. But, but it is great. Um, oh no, we haven't finished that bit. I feel like that's enough. That which does not kill us, often made of foam. Oh. I think my greatest moment through all that, that crisis that we've just been through, guys, was when I finally found out that you can't get COVID through eye contact. <laughs> I was walking around like that. First thing, I learned so many lessons, though. I think the first thing I learned, um, you know, during all of that, that difficulty that we all went through, the first thing I learned is that this and, and uh, Bart, jobs and and the sound i learned that these are not essential <laughs> learned that you learned that right away too fuck whoa i just want you to know if there's anybody in who works for the nhs i applauded for you guys twice <laughs> through gritted teeth going oh god you're so busy with your jobs Ah, that must be terrible being busy, busy working. Oh, I cheered them. And then I got a friend who's like a moron who works for the NHS and has one of those jumpers that's got the, the NHS thing on. Have you seen them? They're lovely. And he's, what an idiot. He leaves it inside of his flat, in his bedroom, in a closet for anybody to come along and steal. <laughs> so of course I wore that around for a couple of months. My self-esteem needed a lift. And I walked around, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Just doing what I can. I just love operating on people and helping folk out. You betcha. I think my top hat's on too tight, you know. I won't take it off, I won't take it off. Oh my God, Tony, that is a great looking headband. Thank you. It is a great looking headband, but you know, guys, I just, um, I care about issues so much that sometimes you can tell. Because I put a Y in there. Like my whole life, I've been called a snowflake libtard. 
a snowflake libtard, and I went into the, those lockdowns and I spent way too much time online that an older fella should. And I went in there, and I, it, it, it took me over. You know, I shouldn't have been on social media so much. I just started fucking canceling people. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you, it felt good. Nothing I like more than finding out someone I don't know might have been near a thing I didn't hear about. And I'm like, let's take that fucker down. Then you find out they've got a family. Mm, that's the sweet spot. Destroy that piece of shit. And I loved it. But you know, I didn't want to just be the Paul Pot of the internet. Which I was. It's all based on true stuff. But you know, but I didn't want to be that. So I tried to fool my algorithms. That's right. I did the most dangerous thing you could do try and tell your YouTube algorithms that you're not who you are. And so they would all feed me the stuff I like. I'm like, oh yeah, I like that. That's exactly what we think. You betcha. I like that. And then I go, okay, but I might be like that. And they go, oh, you like that? Here's some stuff over there. And I go over there and I go, oh, I'm not sure, but I'm used to it now. And they keep sending me, they keep sending me stuff and I go, okay. Be brave. I like that over there. And then they come and send me down over there. And then I keep going over there. And I keep. Anyway, long story short, guys, I am now far right. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel far right. And I don't agree with any of the ideas over there. But I do value the friendships I've made. <laughs> I mean, some of, some of those anti vax guys, I'm a godfather to a few QAnon kids. <laughs> Hey, as long as we don't talk politics, everything's fine and dandy. But uh, so some, that's, why, that's why I wear this headband. Um, this one reminds me about one of the more minor issues. This reminds me about the dangers of Facebook. Because you know what it's like. You're walking along, you catch your reflection. You're like, what the fuck am I wearing a headband for? Facebook. Ooh. Facebook. Ooh. Facebook knows all your information, Tony. Stop giving them your details. Facebook can manipulate you. Not me, it can't. I've been lying. <laughs> Screw you, Zuckerberg. I don't even like tennis. <laughs> Zuckerberg's such a dipshit. He thinks I like tennis because of my headband photograph. Not so smart now, silicon dick shit. You gotta tell truth to power. So, oh shit, I tell you, I tell you what. But uh, no, I spent too much time online, you know. But I learned a lot, you know. And I remember, I remember, um, became very bitter. Like many of us, we probably uh, you just get bitter, especially if you live in a flat. And you, and you live in a, you're in your flat and you look outside and you see the joggers. <laughs> and you see them running and you're thinking, ah, they come from the houses. <laughs> oh, you didn't have enough space inside your house. You needed to go out and own our streets, did you? Look at you, run, run, run. I'm going to own it. I thought, you have no idea how to conquer this thing. You need to make yourself very, very small. That's what, well, that's what we did. We made ourselves very tiny. I'm very small. In fact, this flat might be too big for us. I'm sitting in a part of the kitchen no one's ever sat in. 
I'm like Genghis Khan of this part of the kitchen. Ah, Wolfie's hair is there. Anyway, sir, you know, that bit is always just tapered away like that. Made zero effort to change that. I felt it was like a punctuation on something. Or maybe, you know, part of the show might have been going too well and I felt I, I didn't deserve it. And that's the thing that haunts most of us, doesn't it? Many of us, don't you? You know, things start going good. How can I fuck that up? It is the way. My God. My God, Boba Fett changed my life. I, I mocked my family. I mocked them for many, many months over their, their Mandalorian fees. And all I heard is one New Zealand tough fucker say, Baba Fit. And I was in love. Now what? I'm sorry. I think, I think I, I've even given myself a note. Don't riff on your favorite shows. Oh, no. Don't riff on your favorite shows, old man. Ah, uh, okay. Still, at, le at least I saw my, my, uh, my son, who's 13, his uh, daily joke today is, uh, opinions are like buttholes. That's how he talks, so don't think I'm, it's my son. <laughs> opinions are like buttholes. Y they can open and close. <laughs> He's 13, you monsters. <laughs> I like it, it's kind of surreal. Funny, in our little home, we've got four different accents. I can't do any of theirs. <laughs> you can't do fucking Northern either, mate, says someone who's Northern who thought it. <laughs> Self-heckling. Uh, well, I'm having too much fun, so, uh, but no. But I learn a lot, you know, during the lockdown, I learn a lot. Um, I tried to do different things, and, uh, you know, I, I embraced, uh, like many of you, the depression part. That was fine. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the bleakness and the, and the hope, when the hope was dry. Like, we've all gone there. That was a big old lack of hope. Um, no, but I think um, I tried different stuff. Like, uh, here's one thing I learned, is that uh, if you want to get into falconry, you need more than just the glove. <laughs> I stood up there going, when does this shit get good? Land, fucker, land! Pigeon, pigeon, land! Tony, please tell me. Please tell me you didn't bring that glove just for that bit. I did. I brought that glove just for that bit. I did. I brought it for that. And I know some of you are going, that's a welding glove. It's not. It's not a welding glove, but it, it's not a falconry glove either. It's actually a gardening glove. I mean, who, who needs a gardening glove like this? I'll tell you who, gardeners who want to feel like they're in the cavalry. Whoa. We're gonna. <laughs> I always imagine I'm a hussar. They used to put those rods up in the air and they had a halo on them and they go, Jan Sobieski's troops on their way to Vienna. I don't know. 
You Google that later, there's not enough time to make something funny about that. And actually, do you know what? I do have the actual glove. Uh, but I, I, it doesn't fit, but I, I didn't. I wanted you to know I went the whole way. It's an actual... <laughs> fucking loser. Uh, oh, you guys are wonderful, and... Uh, Oh man, I I I I I'm so grateful because uh, I don't know my gigs don't always go as good. <laughs> I mean they do, but I mean they do, <laughs> they do, and they do, and then they don't. But I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Was, uh... <laughs> uh, but I think the I think <laughs> you guys are too nice, too nice, but. Uh... I think the thing that we all learnt as a people, and all, you know, I, and also, like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to finish my set with my best bit, um, because you know, I come from a farm and there wasn't many books and there was no idea, but I, I learnt what it meant to be an artist, you know, through my journeys, and I've pieced it together. I'm, I'm a. Um, I'm a self-taught artist. And what I've learned is, you need to make people question things. And I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why we're even, I don't, I don't even know why, but, because you don't, you don't want people leaving going, God, oh, that guy was fun. What you want is people going, God, you know, I thought I liked him for a while. <laughs> That's... <laughs> uh, it's, it makes me so uncomfortable when it, you know, like at the first half, it was a bit mixed. I liked that better. Because I thought, this is, this is the most I deserve. But then, then it really picked up. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So, so these last few minutes, I fucking killed it. And it's back to where I feel like I could go home and look in the mirror and go, no, no, that's exactly how it should have gone. <laughs> no, but I think the thing that we all learned, though, all of us, <laughs> All of us as people, I think, most, I think we all learned how to stifle a cough. No cash back. No cash back. And then until it only, when it, I was, it was like a year into it before we went, no, coffins got fuck all to do with it. <laughs> and then we had to like, to try and not sweat. I don't know. <laughs> or, uh, yeah. Holy fuck, I have washed a lot of food. <laughs> How many of you with people that are old that you love have washed the fucking shit? Out of plastic, go. We use a, we, we we use way too many bits of plastic, because you've been wiping it with a fucking Dettol. I should buy shares in Dettol. 
I should make face masks with a funny thing on it. And some apples have got a big thing on them. Sorry, you know, I'm overstaying my welcome. <laughs> Just really should, really should go. Oh, hey, books are good. <laughs> but, uh, books are good. But not when the acting in your head is shit. <laughs> Thank you very much. You've been too kind. Thank you. affected by any of the issues raised in that set. Um, my favorite way of Tony Law watching is not the 90% of the audience that are like massively on board. It's the 10% of the audience that are like, what the fuck is this? That is... Welcome. Thank you. That was a really great set, Tony. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for doing Quantum Leopard. Um, yeah. So, um, I just uh, first off, um, I just want to ask, like, how you were feeling, kind of like going into this gig. How were you feeling on stage? Like, how was the audience? How were you feeling about it all? Oh, um, well, first of all, I always like doing uh, uh, Quantum Leopard because they're always pretty keen. Uh, they also are always very comedy literate, and so you can get away with doing subtle bits. And also, it's it was a nice evening close to home and <laughs> and a after you've driven to Ulverston and back and you know you're going to go down to just down the road and make the same amount of money you know yeah. after all of your petrol or whatever I was pretty stoked and I like to arrive late I don't like to get there too early because I get too nervous and I stew and uh, no I was pretty pumped and I always know there's going to be really nice people around and uh, backstage is going to be quite fun so no I was pretty I was pretty pumped, and I also get pumped by their enthusiasm. It's a good crowd, always a good crowd. I've loved it all over the years. And, you know, thankfully, you keep bringing me back. It's, it's going to happen again, don't worry. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think the, the short commute is definitely something that uh, puts <laughs> our gig above quite a few others, as well as a lovely um, audience of comedy savvy regulars who are, like, super, super up for it. Um, we've got, yeah, so many people who've come back to, like, so many shows. I think Alison has been to over 90 of them, which is a lot wow. of shows, given we've done 100 of them. Uh, she's been go. doing, like, front of house and or tech stuff for quite a few of those. That's sort of cheating, but, like, you know, people are people are pretty pretty committed. I like I like I like the you know when we've when we've <laughs> when you've moved from venue to venue. I've always been excited about each new venue and what kind of it's still the same quantum leopard crowd though. So yeah they, yeah yeah they they follow us from place to place and we we started off in um uh like rehearsal rooms um uh, which then got lost to developers and then we moved to other rehearsal rooms that also got lost to developers yeah i noticed um, the yeah. developers have been chasing us around london <laughs> no it is a little bit like whack-a-mole i mean like i mean this is the thing like i mean you know this is uh, the, the nature of capital is to like observe an opportunity and exploit it as part well if of, you, you know, if, you, if you if you if you know things, if you know where you are at 
That's that, that they're following you and they're going, well, this is going to be an up and coming area. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Yeah. There's the whole thing of like artists are the shock troops of gentrification. And it's like, yeah. I feel that comedians are unfortunately part of that. I mean, like, I think King's Cross is like well on its way there. I don't think, I don't think we did anything to contribute to that. I mean, like the, the real struggle is going to be, you know, um, finding anywhere outside of, cause we, we want to keep it zone one as much as possible. Um, just because yeah. that way, like the maximum number of people can get in from um, various places uh, nicely and easily. Um, how sustainable that's going to be in the long, long term, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah. Um, so, like right off the bat, your bit with the sort of the naval honking. Now, I I love that because that is just bonkers, and that's a very good way of like straight off the bat going, "Hi, I'm Tony Law. I'm going to make the noise of a naval foghorn with yeah. my mouth over a microphone." Like so. Two, two basic questions. Is this a standard opening for you? And how often do you, you get sick? Well, so, <laughs> well, I did it year, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I did it years ago and uh, it was a big hit and then I stopped using it. It was so good and I thought, well, you should be able to steal material from yourself. Yeah. I really liked it because it just goes, um, Lowell, like you say, and it says, and it says something about uh, English people and I don't know. I, I love, <laughs> I, I first did it in like 2009 or eight or something like that. And then I put it away, like, because I thought, well, you can't keep doing the same thing. And then I realized that's bullshit. You can, <laughs> you can do it for a bit and you can bring it back. And then I, uh, the main, I, I needed to start doing a lot more uh, club gigs, mm, in, you know, mm. like up north or to places where no one knows you. Yeah. You know, in a mainstream type comedy club. And, it was a way to say, I'm a little zany. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be exactly what you, you expect or whatever. And then also, I don't know, it's it's a little bit of tickling the balls of the of the country people yeah, as well yeah. by saying, you know, you're, and I don't know, I, I love the rhythm of it, actually. If I'm totally honest, I like the, the way it goes, you know, you're a maritime people. You love that sound. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some of you moving towards the coast. I like all the voices I can do with those simple words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah no. So I brought it back now, and I started bringing it back from that gig. I think maybe a bit before, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and doing other gigs, and now it's back in the show. And uh, there's some people who have been fans of mine for so long. That I've had to drop in the old classic tone zone. <laughs> but for example, my agents, who I've been with for four years now, they'd never heard it. And they thought, oh, that's such a, a fun way to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, great. So most people are going to think that. But then you also have to uh, remember to mention the, the other people who have seen you 15 years ago when they first heard it. So. I mean, that's got to be a challenge for you as somebody who's got like a bit of a cult following. But, you know, whenever you're doing a set, uh, like even someone like Quantum Leopard, comedy savvy crowd, regulars, people who some people who have seen you before, but there's going to be there's always going to be that mix of people who've seen a Tony Law set, maybe that's an hour, maybe that's a, a you know a club set uh, before, and people who are coming to it completely fresh. So you're always going to struggle with that sort of I say struggle with that balance, handle masterfully that balance between the two. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, like I mean, in terms of that set, so I mean, like this is kind of more of a sort of high level question, I suppose. Is yeah. um, so I always look at your set and I think like, okay, this is a rolling boil of nonsense, um, and <laughs> this is this is super great and super interesting and loads of fun. Like even more so than like a regular stand up set where you need to kind of create the illusion that it's uh, all spontaneously off the top of my head, blah blah blah. Like I think that applies to you like so much more because yes. it, you know the idea that you've got 
got this connective tissue that is drawing together these threads of yeah like i say nonsense like what proportion of what you're doing there in this set was um riffing the, an improv versus scripted and like how did that balance compare to a normal set i try and do, i'd say it's about 75 25 to 80 20 where it's scripted and then there's other bits that you work off of it and then all the bits that come up with are always the first time is improvised so the first time i ever do any bit it's like because I don't really know how to write, never went to college, don't know how to make an essay, don't really know grammar, but I'll jot an idea down and then and then I'll, I'll, it'll be way too long to remember it on stage. So then I'll scrunch it up to two words, mm. you know, foghorn, and then I'll do that and then it becomes what it becomes. So it, it's written in a way, or written, whatever, <laughs> like it becomes what it is from, it, it's improvised the first time you do it. Yeah, yeah. And then you improvise it again. And then at some point it gets all stained in your brain. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it looks like that not really out of planning. It looks yeah. like that just because that's how it all started each bit. So, and uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so it's like uh, you're kind of like you're improvising the bit and then you're kind of re-improvising the bit from memory and then re-improvising the bit from memory. And then it kind of like evolves that way and loses yeah, yeah. the bits that it doesn't need anymore. Like every vestigial limb that was on the bit like drops yeah. off because it's not needed anymore. It loses its tail. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it loses its clunky bit. But I'm I'm pretty, pretty bull-minded where I, I will hang on to parts of it that I like that never gets laughs like that's one of my <laughs> that's one of my downfalls yeah is i will keep doing a line because i like how it feels to say it yeah yeah so yeah. i have that i have a routine that ends with and he also sells me bitcoin and guns <laughs> and it, it and that never really gets many laughs but i i, I still say that to this day but yeah. eventually it'll it'll evolve and by the end of the edinburgh fringe usually uh, you know your yearly thing i'll go oh i shouldn't have done it like that but it's too late done it that year that way for a year <laughs> but then i might bring it back in 10 years time because i'm yeah. so old <laughs> well this is, i mean this is the thing about like the whole editing thing is supposed to be like murder your darlings but it's like well you know my darlings are my darlings because they're great like yeah. why, why do i want to kill my darling i love them um, i only murder i only murder the ones i can't remember anymore and then you'll be in a dressing room <laughs> He'll be in a dressing room and a comic who was a fan of yours fifth, like 12 years ago and gone, oh, I really like you. And I, and I love smoke being blown up my arse because I'm yeah. so insecure. And <laughs> they will say, I love that bit about this. And it goes like that. And I'll go, I, I had forgotten I ever did that. I'm going to do that now. And so that's how I usually bring bits back. <laughs> that's a really nice way of doing it. Like having, having like outsourcing your memory to like, you know, <laughs> yeah. jog, jog bits there. So that's like, the best you... I've ever heard of it. Outsourcing your memory. I love yeah. that. Yeah. It's a lot like um, being married or um, using <laughs> Twitter or Facebook to test your jokes. Cause then you get like reminded of previous social media posts. And like, Oh yeah, that bit did have legs. Maybe I'll work on that. Well, I, I, I just found this, like, you know what, what it's, you know what it's like with the family and all mm -hmm. that. And I, I remember like my wife would always she would come to a lot of gigs and just just go I like that I like that I was good I was like that but then when you know family got busy I didn't have that extra muscle and I felt like mm. less than less than the comic I was and then um, she came to a gig the other night and I was just like fuck I missed this it was just awesome just little little tweaks and little I'm like oh my god those kids are I loathe those children for taking you away from me. 
it is um <laughs> I, yeah i mean like, i i like personally i found that like my comedy definitely took a step up when i was in like a stable long-term relationship so for pa- sure partly for that reason because you've got yeah. this like this this feedback and this um like polite critical affectionate support um yeah it's like consistent um i mean also i found to be honest like it made me focus a lot more because i, I was I, i'm in a long-term relationship so i don't need to be like wasting wait quote unquote wasting time on dating um mm. going out and finding someone so i've got that now that's fine now i can spend time like but then kids ruin all that good there is that yeah they but um... <laughs> and also it's it's that thing where you know at 52 years old and my wife was with me at this gig the other night at up the creek the sunday special mm-hmm. and uh I realized, oh, I've I've always liked showing off to her. Like she enjoys me yeah. being a clown. She yeah. likes, and she she likes when I'm cheeky and confident and maybe say something close to the line, you know, rather than I. If she's not around, I never get cheeky enough. And I realized, oh, it's a I'm flirting. It is. You're, you're puffing out the feathers. Yeah, to I'm going. To Hello, look at me. And as a 52 year old man who feels like. <laughs> Everyone should be serious and a and a a stalwart stand up guy. I thought, no, no, this is what I am. This is what she likes, and it, yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I love it. I love it when she's around. Yeah, no, that's a really nice thing. <laughs> that actually brings me um quite nearly into the next bit I want to talk about. Um, so I, I think you've got a really really nice bit slightly later on in the set where you talk about um your social circle getting smaller and having a wife the kids you really love and that being like all you need. Um, and I just thought I I was thinking as I was watching this is like it's really nice to see a headline level act who does club work like talk positively about their partner and family because uh, there's so much of it which is just like oh my wife and kids hate them oh you know they make <laughs> yeah. them miserable and it's like well just like divorce them like leave like if it's yeah yeah. I don't I don't I don't buy any of that I always feel like they're just say you know I don't I don't buy it I mean I I really warmed to you during that bit it was really nice I I was wondering like to what extent is it like a deliberate strategy to ingratiate yourself with an audience by like saying that I'm not saying you know do you love your wife and kids as a bit I'm saying like are are you are you putting that out there and putting out there reasonably early in order to like build that bridge oh no not at all that that never cross crosses my mind at all like I I feel like such a like genuine failure as a husband and a father all the time anyway okay so it's almost like a therapeutic thing where i'm i say out loud what what i really like but actually the real truth is it's true i like my social circle it's like if someone wants to meet up with you and they're a great guy or a great gal or Mm -hmm. or whatever um and they're great i i should want to but i feel like i don't I don't need to because I've got my I can hang out with my son doing this. I could take my daughter skateboarding and I really like a kind of vampire leech off my family's <laughs> loveliness and their lives are so much more interesting than mine, you know, and also they don't automatically think I'm awesome. So I have to prove myself to them every day, yeah, and, yeah. you know, because they're not mum didn't bring them up to be like worship dad. So. I don't know. They they are like my friends and I'm all constantly trying to I know that's what you're not supposed to say. Your children aren't your friends. And I'm like, well, yeah, maybe that's what proper good people are like, but I'm not that. <laughs> I want them to really like me. So I, and it gets me out of bed and it makes me work harder to be a person and you know. So yeah, no, it's it's a pretty true bit that. I I dig it when they're um when I'm hanging out with them and you know and and COVID really brought it home I just thought fuck Mm, mm. this is horrible this whole lockdown I mean for everybody that's the hard thing for everyone to remember isn't it it's like yeah 
it really sorted the empathetic out from the <laughs> because it's like oh yeah no no this is everybody yeah you know you got a sick old relative and you can't visit him and all that and you're like eh, there's millions more so it's kind of made me more careful with what i talk about and that was one of the things i missed about having storm with me at gigs is uh she would stop me whining too much she she had she had a like nah feels like you're whining so that's a that's a very uh universal problem oh okay so I but like anyway whining. i forget what the question was i enjoyed it though Oh, yeah, uh, it was just loving your wife and kids is putting that sort of like more relatable stuff up. Oh, yeah. But also, Um, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to give the impression that it's all gravy because I I'm a terrible person in so many ways. I'm very rude. And, you know, I I try and get that across, too, that I'm a really uh, failed human in so many ways. I don't want to paint some picture that like I'm this awesome guy loves his family so much. Everybody's. Uh, loves their family well not you know most people love their families (laughs) and dig their family but we're all (laughs) you know i'm also a piece of shit Mm. and Mm -hmm. i I guess i maybe don't sell that enough at the top but i i hope by the end of it they'll pick up yeah he's a piece of shit too we're all pieces of shit i mean i think the version of yourself that you play on stage is kind of like um you know whimsical bumbler caring means well fucks up from time to time and that's that's the version that I get anyway from. from yeah, but I, I don't want to go down that road where you're really honest and, and you're like, yeah, I'm at like, I guess some people want to go and go, yeah, I'm actually dark and I, I'm terrible like this. Terrible. I, I don't think that's funny yeah, or fun. Yeah. So it's not like I'm trying to sell a, just a goofy, great guy, but it that feels better for comedy because I think most people, you know, but also you don't want to. Yeah, I'd never complain about my family. <laughs> yeah. Oh enough. no, wait, I do. <laughs> I you I, I, you kind of do a bit, but like it's still yeah. like it's a very it's it's a sort of it's a rounded and positive portrayal of fatherhood on stage from a you know a more senior experienced comic, which I think is well, not a I, thing that's a, that's a given on the circuit. What and if I went on stage and just poured out? Uh, my feelings of fa- sense of failure and failing my family and failing my wife, failing my children. I'm not sure anyone would want to watch all that, but I mean that's what I feel inside. So the, you've got my character <laughs> isn't allowed to do that. Because <laughs> um, so uh, next, bit I wanted to have a bit of a chat about was um, this is kind of more of a sort of a technique sort of question, really. So um, you've got the bit about uh, material about um, uh, being in the vaccine queue, um, and like you know, I was kind of listening back to that bit, and I thought like when you really boil that down, that's really quite quite a simple like. And I say that in a non-judgmental, simple as yeah, yeah, yeah. way. It's quite a simple observational bit, but like what you do there, you really like. It's a very Tony Law way of doing it, right? Like it, you really punch it up, you elevate it, you do it in your own style. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like your process for like, okay, how do you take this is what I am thinking about in the vaccine queue to getting it to the stage where it's that bit that we've listened to on the first half of the pod. Of the pod. Well, well, it it first came from being in a queue for the vaccine and um i didn't forget my phone but i remember being in it and it it just felt so weird being in a queue as an adult not going to a thing and i've always found queues weird 
that humans we are like you know because we i've always had dogs my whole life and dogs don't cue they cue a little bit so i feel i feel like more of an animal most of my life because i live with so many animals we got two dogs two cats two bedrooms two children <laughs> third floor flat and i feel like <laughs> i can imagine now leaving out sources of milk for the bedrooms like calling yeah. in at night all right the first thing you think of when you get up in the morning is um you know, taking the dogs out, feeding the cats, changing the litter, like it's all. So cues are interesting to me because of animals. And I just like that humans are these animals and we're in this massive queue and it's odd. And and then it just, it morphed into like, what do you do if you forget your phone in this situation? And then also I thought about, um, like this is something we'll remember when we're 80. But we don't know it now. Like it is, you That's know, if you think back to when you're 22, you remember some, like I remember when I was five, I think, when my grandparents from Northern Ireland um, living in a shack in Canada, <laughs> they took people from Northern Ireland when, you know, uh, from remember back in the days, like in the 1920s and the 30s, they'd go, well, we need to clear the slums of Britain mm. and we're going to send them to Australia and Canada. So they took a guy from Lisburn and a, and a, and his wife from uh, Armagh and they're these poor Irish people and they go here here's a plot in Canada so very brilliant for them but they don't they they grew up in cities they don't know how to farm yeah. and they say so they're out there not knowing whether that was the best move but it was the best move for for my dad and they're out there in Canada they're like fucking and I don't know when Elvis died, <laughs> I remember okay, that's a, that's arriving there in our pickup truck, and the first thing was Alfie comes out and he goes, "Did you hear that Elvis died?" <laughs> and like, I'm gonna remember. There's no way I will not remember a tiny little malnourished Northern Irish man coming out. Did you hear Elvis died? <laughs> and everyone says you you remember where you were when you heard Elvis died. You damn right. So anyway, that kind of all fed into the Q thing and trying to make it more of a thing. And then and then it got me thinking, like, you're in a queue and like, what would you do without your phone? Like, I, I genuinely didn't know what I would do without a phone in that situation. I knew it was two hours, even when I did the math and scrunched the crowd up. And then I thought, what what were what would be the things I would think about? And the f and that when I realized everyone was my same age, it made logical sense. Like it was time to start judging how yeah. everyone's aged. <laughs> All these strangers, and I saw some of them, and they made me feel good because I was feeling like an old man. And I thought, wow, some of these people are like look sixty five, mm -hmm. and they're all fifty two. So that was a bit of a judgy thing, but you know that made it in. Um, and then that led me on to like uh, stopping watching porn which I okay. think is a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And when you stop watching porn and you find yourself in a, you know, in a hotel on your own on the road, you're in a travel lodge, and you think, I might do some masturbating, but I'm not watching that porn. And then you got to use your imagination. And you're like, Ugh. oh, I forget what it was. You know, so that was my way of saying it damages you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. Yeah, without being judgy. Yeah. You know, I mean, like so, that. So, I mean, like, what is your attitude to aging? So, 
I mean, I, I think if you, again, because I'm largely going on like a stage persona and the uh, the bit of positive Tony that we get like a bit before the show in the green room and a bit after the show in the green room, who's like yeah. quite up and chipper. Um, but I, I mean, I see a lot of uh, comics your age um, or thereabouts, like plus minus, um, you know, five or ten years either side, um, yeah. where it, it's like it's really obvious that like bitterness has kind of consumed them. Um, and... I, I, that seems like it's a byproduct of aging. I don't know. It, it, that seems like something that you appear at least superficially to have kind of like kept at bay. Do you do you think that that's something you have kept at bay? Are you keeping uh, it at bay privately, or are you keeping it? Oh no, it's something. It's something I I deliberately try to keep at bay because yeah, yeah. because it comes from, and I've I've thought about this a lot. It comes from fear mm. and panic, and especially if you didn't have your family until later in life. Yeah. And you're not made it to some level that you feel like you should have made it to. You know, like, say, my brother does all right because he started his career at, a, at an age and then works stuck at it. And so I compare myself to that. Mm. But it, it, it it's like an insecurity. You feel like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're not a good parent. You haven't provided that. I fucking hate that. But it's still ingrained in me. Well, this comes from working class people, isn't it? You know, if one generation comes from absolute poverty and the next one isn't, and then there's you, yeah, and you're you kind of you've you've let everyone down the line down, yeah, and you, so that, that the ball. yeah, yeah, and it, it's terrifying, and you think, well, what's going to happen now? I'm 52. I'm not going to get on TV. I'm not going to do that. You know, and all that shit starts going. And then so you have to work really hard to go, well, you're really lucky because you're doing a job you like. You get to do long drives. You're paying the bills. You you know, you got an amazing wife and two wonderful kids. And then you can completely forget all that. Mm, and then mm, so, mm. so so it's a deliberate. Yeah, I try really hard to not let that get in because it, it's um yeah, it's a, it's a, I don't know what the word is, but it's in something. It just it gets in there. Yeah, yeah. So I I I, re I try really hard to not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's really admirable. I mean, like, I think you're absolutely right at saying that it's about like fear and insecurity. I mean, you yeah. you kind of touch on it a little bit when you were starting to talk a little bit there about like the sort of the class insecurity element of it, because what it reminds me an awful lot of is like the kind of status anxiety that you get of. And um, sort of the like the, the sort of petty bourgeois stratum that is caught between, you know, here is this um, cesspit of, you know, being immersed in working class poverty. But then there's also here's this middle class stratum above me or this aristocratic stratum above me or whatever that are, um, you know, that have this comfort and this prosperity and this higher status that I can only aspire to. I don't want to descend to the lower uh, stratum, but equally I aspire to the higher stratum. And then like, you know, th there is a reason why that sort of insecure middle stratum like that is the foundation for so many deeply toxic political movements well it, yeah and it, well, i mean it starts with your children because you want to make sure you give because mm. you're surrounded by people who are giving their kids these so-called great starts in front of you yeah cutting, yeah yeah putting them in private schools and when your kid you know go, moves on to his next state school loads of those leave and excuse me and um yeah so it's all it's it, it's all of that and like it's anxiety of of being a failure but then i'm i'm blessed i'm going to use that word <laughs> by being married to someone who is kind of who's able to say 
you also do this, you do that, and it's about this. It's mm. not about that. Mm -hmm. And I, I dig that, but I don't live uh, surrounded by people just like that. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I think having partners there as an external source of, I mean, validation, obviously, because like we're comedians, obviously we're insecure. That's why we're here. But like, but also, but also <laughs> so you, you've got them as a bit of a sanity check. That, um, yeah. And I think that's quite a helpful thing. You've got, you know, two magnets that are stuck to each other are much less likely to spin out. You know what I mean? So you've, but you've, there is that there is that worry that you won't get booked anymore because you're getting older. Because there's no evidence of super old, you know, I, I, um, I don't know, like in music, you see like there's rock stars who were able to age and look like grandmas. And then there's all the other bands who didn't really get a chance. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be too much of a whiner, but yeah, it's a panic. It's a panic. And then you have to manage the panic, you know? You gotta, you gotta work out, like, yeah. So I'm trying, I'm trying to be more grateful, cause yeah. I, there's nothing like when I, I whined earlier about doing a gig in Ulverston. It was one of the best gigs I've had all year. It was to 300 people from a village who came from the farms and everything. Yeah. And I did the same set as I did at yours, and they were all like normal, just working folk, and they loved it. And I had a wonderful drive through the beautiful English lands and uh, stayed at my mother-in-law. So I try, try and do that a bit more because yeah. it's very easy to get bitter. <laughs> but I'm, I'm never bitter about like, um, uh, like people on TV and all that because I don't watch TV no more. Yeah. So yeah, like that, that that's cured me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't have any like I, I, I've lost most of the jealousy that used to come back in the. 15 years ago he used to be jealous <laughs> I, I, I don't have that I, yeah. I, i'm more sort of happy for people i just worry about myself that's all yeah 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 i, I think uh, you know removing the source of potential jealousy and feeling bad about stuff i think is that is quite a positive and healthy active decision that you can make you know <laughs> it's if, if the only choice though isn't it yeah yeah i mean yes <laughs> like yeah i mean the other alternative is like wallow in it and let it consume you and then become enormously <laughs> bitter about being silenced despite your many radio series like you know, this, is, this is the other option uh, yeah cool um all right so i wanted to um have a chat about um uh yeah uh your bit in the bath um which oh. i really really enjoyed so um i i really love that bit because i i can absolutely visualize you in the bath workshopping that material right like why, <laughs> um i i mean like i mean how many baths did you have to take in order to workshop that material is that is that a one bath bit is that a multiple baths over a period of time no that that one came straight from imagination Okay. Or oh, um, you you're, you're more of a showers guy, so this is well, like, there, no, pure fiction. Uh, there was a comedian, and I, I'm ashamed that I forget his name, but he used to do this thing about like uh, swooshing the bath water around with his hands. Uh -huh. And I remember being in dressing rooms back in the day when um, uh, Jonglers was the main place, and I used to die on my hole every fucking time because I would just wasn't what they wanted back in those yeah, days. Yeah, I was about to say, you're not a jonglers comic, no, but, I think. But the thing about jonglers is I had to do them because I needed to pay rent. Like, I yeah, had no yeah. choice. And I used to die so badly. And then I'd do a good one. And so they kept booking me. And then sometimes they'd dock my pay because I'd leave after 11 minutes because it was dying so bad. But I kept doing them. 
And I think in the long run, it made me better because I was able to deal with sort of drunk, raucous crowds. Yeah. But I, the difference then was I disrespected the audience rather than the situation. Like I felt like I judged them as being bad people. And I've tried to fix that over the last few years. Like, no, no, no. It's just, it's anyway. But so he used to do that. And I remember being in dressing rooms and people going, oh, good God, that bit's so hacky. And then I forgot all about that. Then years later, bathing, I just thought about dealing with back fat and fat. And I remembered his bit. So I I was influenced by his bit. Yeah. And I thought, and it just, I don't know, I just sort of swirled around in my head. But it wasn't in the bath where I came up with it. It was more sort of, uh, it was outside of the bath. And then, and it was a great way to incorporate a bit of material I had done like 14 years ago uh-huh. about, uh, that was a completely separate bit about World War II. Cause I used, to, I used to love as a kid World War II airplanes. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden I thought, oh, they all fit. Everything yeah, fits yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, I mean, it just goes to show how well that fits together because I thought that was like, okay, this this reads to me like an, a pretty much entirely organic bit that goes from step to step to step to step to step, and there's no obvious joins or gear shifts like within that. That seems like that that felt like a very smooth ride as somebody who was watching that as as an audience member who's got a background in comedy and a background in improv i was like i see where all of this links together this seems very very natural so the the the, the, the fact that this is a cut and shut job of two different halves of different it cars, was two different halves that that I, I guess the bit that you noticed was that it was brought it, it sort of happened on one gig someone had mm. brought up i really used to like your airplane bits and then it, it, that was in my head and it so it was all improvised together and it just sort of accidentally all stuck together. A lot of my stuff, my funniest bits are accidental. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. As in and and as if, in... A good, if a good crowd, and that's why I like doing your gig so much, uh-huh. is when they're so positive and attentive and kind, no matter what gig it is, it just brings out the best in you. And I mean, you can't hope for that everywhere, but those gigs I look forward to because I know something's going to come from it. So, mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you, you smash the thing and then you get some fragment from what's going on and oh, how yeah, it yeah. reacts is going to be like, okay, this is the new direction that I take it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, I, there was just a little aside that you kind of made during that. And again, I'm not sure if that was um, uh, deliberate or, or kind of something you do every time. Um, but you kind of, you said, what was the what was the line? Uh, I, I, I'm making fun of people like me, um, which I thought was like- Oh, no, a- I say-, I say um- do you say every, oh, right, look at look at uh, well how i say it now is um look at me making fun of a type of person i'm pretending to not be there we go because okay, i didn't cool. want to be one of those guys <laughs> taking the piss out of some nerdy guy who really likes world war ii airplanes when yeah. that's exactly who i have been in my life so yeah 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 <laughs> well, I, I thought that was a really nice bit because it's like i think that's um uh, it's a really good observation i think it really works really well um with a lot i mean a lot of comedy that like works um because you're inviting the audience into your world and you're you're sharing the joke that is you and you're identifying your own absurdities and you're bringing that to the material um and you you kind of you acknowledge to them that it's a you know it's a joke shared and i, I think that's very bonding it's a really nice way of bridging the gap with the audience because it's not just like okay well here's let's talk about all your weirdos i'm i'm a bit weird as well here's this very specific knowledge that i've got and look what i'm doing with it which i think was really really nice and also you kind of um 
you want to celebrate your interests. You don't want to sell your 13-year-old self down the river. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. yeah. Go, that, that was valid that you liked that. Yeah. There's other people who like that. And what what I do you know the thing about that bit with the airplanes and the World War Two thing and it becomes about class and everything. Mm, mm, mm. The amazing thing is I've done that at all sorts of gigs up and down Britain. Yeah. And the exact same interest in it is like in a village gig here or a a a, a rough gig in Sheffield or Quantum Leopard or any of those gigs like anywhere. They, it's the same thing, and it and then I I reckon that's to do with people remember watching and learning about World War Two in their families. Like it's a connection, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so much part of like the national story. Um, and like even if you're yeah. adopting a sort of um, you know, a, a more sort of radical perspective, like it's still like it's a defining moment in pretty much everybody's family history, right? Whether they yeah, and it's and it and it's and it's saying that I guess. To me, it's saying something like, um, you know, working class people aren't necessarily uh, guilty of A, B, C, D. They were, you know, they these tiny people who were malnourished were shoved in all these awful places. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to, it's more of a uniting thing to make everyone think, um, well, not to make everyone, but, you know, that w- we all come from some sort of shit time. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think that's nice for everyone. Yeah. Who feels yeah. like they're in a shit time to know that, hey, we've all been in a shit time type <laughs> of deal. We've all been exploited and we come from exploited people. Yeah. And uh, that that's really important, I think, because that, that's one of the big dividing things, isn't it? Yeah, hugely so. I mean, I think like with pretty much everybody, you, you only need to go back like three, four generations, absolute max, unless you're talking to literal gentry before you've got people who yeah. are, you know, having truly horrible times doing terrible yeah. things that and are really mo- bad for and a, them. and a lot of people one or two or yeah. even present and then and and i guess what you know you you get a lot of people with this new connectivity you get a lot of um extremely privileged posh people telling people how to live and how they're mm-hmm. bad and mm-hmm. i i feel like that's a real imbalance and it's almost like they're assuaging their guilt and uh and it really f- fires up people and they we all don't know how to express it like hey that's not fair don't lump us in with you yeah you're you're the one who benefited from this 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 and this or whatever and so without being a boring wanker i try as hard as i can to to just do little little reminders and it makes a lot of people go yeah my dad was poor or i am poor or Mm, mm, mm. i didn't do that and you know, and stops people feeling guilty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the thing. It's like it's perfectly possible, I think, for somebody, particularly sort of in a historical context, to you know vaguely benefit on a structural level from some sort of oppressive phenomenon without being yeah. like personally culpable for it. And I think you know, provided you can kind of acknowledge that in some way, like it, it's perfectly possible to be both, you know, distantly in a very small way a beneficiary of exploitation while also being horrendously exploited yourself. And I think that's that's a lesson that I think is is pretty politically universal and then contesting that one yeah. way or the other is is, is is difficult political territory and something that the right in particular is, is very good at playing on people's uh people's sense of guilt about 
I mean, that kind of brings me kind of brings me neatly onto my next bit, actually, because you talk about um, uh, one of the sections about sort of that sort of online radicalization sequence. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, you know, your time online of being, you know, quote unquote, far right. Um, and uh, you, you come really close to saying the exact words. This is a true story. So I just wondered, like, to what extent, like, is that a true story? Is it based on a true story? Like, what's the real story with that? Just from observing all of the the media talk. Yeah. Of people have been radicalized 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 and i i don't know i didn't i, I didn't feel that amongst people oh, oh okay i guess i'll start it like this like i discovered like loads of people that i was told were evil and then mm. i go online and i'd watch them and i go oh they're not actually evil i i don't really like all the stuff they're talking about and you can tell they're being captured by their audiences and they're <laughs> moving a bit crazy but ultimately, they're the same person I knew before. Yeah. And uh, and I just thought there was all this... I always thought, like, uh, newspapers and BBC and... Well, all of them were getting, like, quite... Ah, that one... And they were, they were saying that everyone was bad. There was all these bad people. And I didn't find them to be bad. And I didn't find myself to be bad. And so I just thought it was funny to talk like uh, I was, <laughs> uh, that I had been turned bad. I tried to put myself <laughs> in that, that they were right. I was trying to play into the their, you know, I guess people are losing jobs in the media and it's shrinking. And so, so it serves everyone in the media to say crazy thing. And right-wing people say absolute nuts shit about like, ah, oh, the left-wing are the end of the world. And then, but left-wing people are on my team, so... They also do it. And so I just, I don't know. I just, I thought it'd be a fun way to just try and act out me being radicalized. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then I like the idea of the line, um, you know, I don't agree with any of the ideas over here, but I am now far right. That was my yeah. favorite. Like I kind of <laughs> almost started with that line and worked backwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is one of those things of like, you know, it's the friends we made along the way. I mean, like that's a, I mean, like to, to do that sort of line um, in front of a quantum leopard crowd is like, that is, that is quite the provocation. And the fact that you can get away with it and it is like, it's clear from the context that that is not something that you mean sincerely. I think well, it's a I... testament to the goodwill that you built up over the course of the set, you know. Well, I I feel like they're all really smart enough to know exactly what I meant. Yeah. Which is how I laid it out just now. I feel like they're all like because I think that most I think this idea that there's uh, these two sides that absolutely loathe each other and have both become nuts. I don't I don't buy that. I think there's a very vocal, opinionated, narcissistic bunch on each side on twitter who are like ah and then they all like to go ah and i think there's more that unites people you know than yeah i, I really lack the vocabulary but I, I i just feel like people aren't as haven't gone as insane as we're told we've all yeah, gone yeah i i think you're right to some extent i mean so I say this, I mean, like, I've seen like a lot of uh, friends and in some cases um, relatives like go down like proper, like nutcase. Mostly oh, right yeah, but they, they go down like them, but they come back. They yeah, always come I, back. Well, I, I've uh, I, I'm, unfortunately, I've got several very clear examples where that definitely hasn't happened and has ended in like quite, oh. quite tragic and unfortunate circumstances. So oh, I, no. I, I'd love to see people come back. But there, there are some cases where most that's do maybe. Happen. Hopefully, 
hopefully i don't have the data on it i don't know it's, it's one of these things that i mean like if you if you look at I, I find that if you look at sort of opinion polls on like most issues in this country there's um there's like a solid one third that is just behind like the stupidest worst cruelest possible interpretation of um what's going on like what proportion of people thinks that yeah we should just like deport like refugees and asylum seekers straight to rwanda it's about a third and you get that very similar sort of statistic with with so many other fields so many other areas so many other questions um and it just seems to me that you've then got like the 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 other two-thirds is split between people who have like a diametrically opposed view and people who sort of slightly tilt towards that other end well that's why it's it's super important even even if your um political economic or whatever view is left or if you're the other version on the right but you're able to still maintain that kind of desire to love each other and keep each other together somehow yeah it's really important that's not to say to be a centrist in (laughs) any way (laughs) because that's a swear word but maybe it's important to try well for me i try and i don't know i don't want to write people off yeah i try i try my best to not write them off even when people i disagree with horribly I'm I'm just trying to be better and re- and then find something that they're right about and then maybe ignore all the shit they're bad about and that's the only way to bring them back. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds yeah. so arrogant. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. I mean, like, I, I think, <laughs> like I fucking know, I'm a farm boy, <laughs> redneck scumbag. Well, I, yeah, but at the same time, like, you're also like a compassionate family man who's built a life for himself and like a decent career and is surrounded by people who love him, and it's not an accident that those people love you, right? Like, you. you but also, there, the world, right? there, there is this thing, though, right? Like, this is this is one of the shitty side of my personality. Is like, there is a part of people where you go, like, well, I used to go on pride marches back in the fucking day. These. M- I mean, back in the day when we needed it. You, you newcomers, think your uh, pride march. There are nothing like, like you sort of insert yourself into a movement you were not a part of, yeah. but <laughs> but feel like you, like you were somehow you more of, important. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> like you don't need that. Like, and my wife calls me up on that because the kids will be talking about something. I'll be like, well, you don't know this about your dad. I was uh, used to be on all the marches back in the day, and <laughs> there is that sort of thing. Where, well, when you when you age, maybe people need to talk more about that. Maybe I need to talk more about that on stage. Is, you know, your head gets all weird. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I mean that's definitely a fact that I've noticed in a lot of this radicalization, right? Like, so um, the a lot of the examples I've seen are people who are trying to like reassert declining claims to relevance or their own sense of radicalism by being more extreme, and that's then met in a bit of a feedback loop. Where they get a positive response from that from a certain core of people, it also puts off and dissuades um, and offends uh, people that uh, they were close to, and then that has a polarizing effect because it pushes them away from the people who they have those everyday social relationships with, and it's reinforced. Uh, by the positive reception they get from you know a more extreme crowd um i found a lot of people who kind of like started off on a sort of you know a, a sort of a muggy center left kind of trajectory like as soon as their material interests catch up with them they they become richer and more prosperous as they um get older um oh well i have no time for people who are wealthy and their opinions <laughs> <laughs> that's not changed fat, fat, fat. that's not changed yeah 
But I do have a lot of time for people who are still struggling and feeling afraid. I have a yeah. lot of time for them, left or right, whatever they call themselves. I have a lot of time for them, but I do not have any time for someone who's some sort of posh middle-class person who's made it and then suddenly has some worries about trans issues or something. I have no yeah. fucking time for those guys because you don't have any real worries. And uh, that's a, I mean, that's as radical as I get. But I do have time for people who are confused, yeah, bit scared, bit worried, no matter what their thing is. Yeah, I have a lot of time for working class people, but you know, not all of them. I, I that's really, <laughs> I, no, no, that's, that's totally valid. I, that's what a really a good cunt. perspective. Like, I mean, I, I mean, like, I'm glad you picked up the transphobia thing. So that's almost a classic example of something that there is for a lot of the people who adopt that as the core element of their political identity, like a lot of them are comfortable middle to upper middle class people who come from a sort of, in this country at least, from a sort of centre, centre left kind of background, who whose material... But wait, don't you they, think... They need don't, a, don't you think lots and lots of the trans community also comes from there like it's an internal battle oh yeah yeah so i mean like, i'm i'm leaving i'm leaving that to one side for a moment but oh I, okay I, like, I, I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't like um trans people from middle class and upper class backgrounds that that's obviously the case right like you yeah know, you, you 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 throw the chromosomes throughout a society it's gonna it's gonna pop up randomly what i mean is that <laughs> this is like a this is um what i mean is in, in the context of like transphobia as like a political idea in this country and uh, like a political movement like that that very much comes from a centre-left background where material interests mean that these people like class struggle is no longer relevant to them not so, at all so so what they do but they they have this self-image of themselves as good and moral people who are radical in some way so they need a new cause and this is the cause that they have found because it latches onto something psychosexual within them do you know i had never considered that until you laid it out like that because i i do try and cut myself off from a lot of stuff because mm -hmm. it gets very de uh, distressing so i've been watching a lot of um 1970s horse racing <laughs> that is one way of getting around it that this is, is how i maintain my mental health yeah yeah valid my main mode that uh simplistic uneducated mode that i try and always keep in my head and i've always kept in is i don't like bullies mm. and i hate bullies and i just try and remember that yeah yeah and i try and not be a bully and I, I and people's feelings matter so if i meet someone and they want Whatever they tell me, I want to go, yeah. Does that make sense? I, no matter does. what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you raise that. I mean, I, I think for a lot of people, like, you know, their uh, first experiences of bullying are some of the things that imprint themselves most onto them yes um, exactly and like it's your first uh like i mean outside of like you know low level stuff being raised as a child and you're experiencing yeah. on the receiving <laughs> end of a certain style of parenting. low level but, it, but i mean it's, it's your first real taste of like okay this is what real injustice feels like um yeah. and i think that's a powerful informative experience for a lot of people and i think being able to you know if you like leaving aside capital I ideology, if you can root your personal ideology in something that is resistant to, you know, something that is, is as human and fundamental yeah. as that, then, you know, I think that is, that is going to be more. Well, right than it simple, is wrong. simple, simple folk like me need to do that. <laughs>
Because it frees up more space for being an absolute tool on stage. I mean, there is that, right? Like, there's there's only so much of your brain that you can use up to, like, be morally correct about stuff, right? Like, yeah. I, 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 personally, I found that, like, getting older, so much of it is about, like, okay, what do I need to jettison from my brain? What do I need to decide I'm not going to pay attention to so I've got room for the other stuff? So there's, like, whole fields of a culture, intellectual endeavor, where I'm like, okay, I, my brain is full. I have no space for this. I could enjoy it if I had the time. I'm not going to have the time. I've got to concentrate on my resources elsewhere. And uh, like, yeah. You know, so there's this whole thing that are closed books to me. And I, I think to, to an extent, like once you've got like the basics down of like, this is how I must interact with people and society is changing. I must change with it to a reasonable extent. Once you've got that yeah, down, yeah. it's like, okay, can you, can you do the basics? Be reasonable and compassionate and respectful. Good. Okay, fine. That's the minimum that's required unless you're going to make this like, a personal specialism uh... well i think that that's one of the things from parenting is you mm. you have to try and find the good in people because you don't want to you know if your child comes home and says so and so and so and so the best thing you can do maybe i don't know is to go try and find the best about that person so they don't develop prejudices or... yeah yeah for sure and, for sure um no it's it's a fucking it's a funny old world <laughs> That is, that is, I think that's our conclusion. It's a funny old world. It's, it's a land <laughs> yeah. of contrasts. Um, cool. Um, in terms of your set, so the, the falconry bit, right? So you have been wearing that glove for the whole set, right? Like, yeah. I think I think we'd all basically forgotten about it. We just assumed that, like, oh, it's just, it's a thing Tony's worn. Um, and then, like, like about, it's about half an hour later, you just pull out the reference to it. Like, so is that, was that always something that you had? Is that a back pocket kind of like fallback bits do you have that pre-planned because I, I mean like i say you always give the impression of somebody who starts with the structured premise then riffs then pulls it back with another structured bit like is that accurate and does that apply to the falconry stroke heavy well, duty no, diving glove no well, that's come about to be that a yeah. little bit it's a nice way to end uh that came from like lockdown like uh, seeing other people who were bettering themselves going out jogging <laughs> and yeah and me just feeling like i've I can't really go out. I've got to entertain children or, yeah. or you know, and uh, just about people taking up hobbies. And I was at my mother-in-law's and she's a crazy one. She'll just go, I'll just go, I go, what is this glove? And she goes, oh, that's for the coal. <laughs> and I go, oh, it looks like a falconry glove. And she goes, do you want one? <laughs> and I went, no, 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 no. But she bought me a one of those and then i just thought well i need to figure out something to do with this hang on so she bought you one gardening glove that looks like a falconry glove yeah yeah and so (laughs) i figured out how to do it and then it kind of tied in with um like people bettering themselves getting hobbies and i just thought it was really funny that um because i i remember looking outside of our third floor flat in our little council flat and there was people out running and i knew they all came from the houses (laughs) and i thought and i'm not even out there running it's like they're winning and then they're winning even when we're losing and then i thought well no i'll fucking i'll do something i'll get a hobby that's more you know in line with the height we live at (laughs) and so in my mind it just made sense that i could get into falconry by holding my arm out the window that's right i mean if you do it for long enough eventually a falcon will Will land that was that was the thought yeah free falcons (laughs) like Hold out a uh, lump of pig meat. Just take your time. Why not? Now you play yeah, the Yeah, and I, do, I, I, I love the absurdity of it. And I've, o- I've always done stuff where I've worn something and then not mentioned it the entire gig. Yeah. 
I've, I've liked that kind of um, Steve Martin silliness. So I mean, okay, so oh, that, so I'd like to pick up on a couple of bits there. So is that a bit that is directly inspired by Steve Martin? Uh, is it a particular bit that Steve Martin did where he does that? I've got some. No, no, over, just in, in, indirect because he wore like the um, arrow through the head. Got it. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm constantly thinking about like so just I don't know little bits and pieces, bits of garbage you find or bits of stuff you pick up, and I, and I've always I've always liked comedy or uh, you know. I we we you know taking the kids to loads of children's shows. There's always something a bit weird that they wear. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. And I just want to be a part of that. And I always want to keep something like that in the show. So I used to wear a lot more elaborate costumes. Or like one show where I had a giant beach ball, the biggest you could get on the internet, and I played um, just a small town girl, <laughs> which is an important song in my childhood. <laughs> you know, like. So the redneck farmer kids used to love that song. It was all about getting out of where you're from. Yeah, yeah. And I liked the idea of playing catch with this beach ball with someone in the audience. And then I developed where we'd just spin. I just had an instinct or a hunch that that would be funny. Yeah. Because um, it seemed funny in my mind when I was lying in bed. It's going, that'd be funny if you just played catch. The original idea was to just play catch with a baseball glove. And a baseball, because I, I couldn't figure out how to get baseball, which is an important part of my life, yeah, yeah. into a show. And then I thought, oh, that's not funny. It's also potentially then, dangerous, I think. A beach board is definitely yeah, the safer way of doing something like that. That's probably the first thing that shut it down. Yeah. But then it, the idea of just playing catch with a ball, because I always connected so much with, with my dad would never play, but when he did, like yeah. I remember every time we played catch. Like it's very... Um, you know, whatever, nostalgic or whatever. Yeah. And so it's all of that just went into it. And I just thought playing catch with someone in the audience is very beautiful. And it, nice. it became beautiful, especially with that song. So some people would have a tear in their eye because it, I don't know, it weirdly, it did a weird thing. So anyway. That's really lovely. Um, I mean, on the subject of music and um, having things on stage that you don't use, like you, I, like this is not something you, you can tell from the podcast recording because it's audio, obviously. But you had a guitar with you on stage the whole time, the whole set, and uh, you never used it. Were you ever going to use it? Is that one of the back uh, things? Did, that means I must have forgotten to do the thing where. So uh, when I do the top hat at the beginning, uh -huh. I always say I forgot how to dress during the lockdown, and I and I go. Did we wear top hats? Because I own a top hat, and I guess I must have worn one. So that was the idea about the lockdown. Yeah. And then I go, Tony, please tell me you didn't bring a top hat just for that bit. I did. And then the callback is, right after the falconry, I'm supposed to go, Tony, please tell me you didn't bring that glove just for that bit. And I'm like, I did. <laughs> and then the third one is I bring out the guitar, which I might have forgotten to do that night. Where I go, I don't know how to play this. And I put the guitar back down and say, Tony, please tell me you didn't bring that guitar just for that. <laughs> I did. So it's like the old rule of three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Okay, good. Well, it's good to good to have that answered. I appreciate that because that was, that was <laughs> nagging me the whole time. Uh, cool. Um, okay, so um, we now have uh, some uh, questions uh, from uh, Quantum Leopard audience people. Okay. Um, cool. So, okay, uh, this one is from uh, Martin. Um, if you saw someone uh, was laughing a dangerous amount at one of your shows without catching their breath, uh, would you stop being funny or continue to see if they'll pass out? Oh, no, I'd start to panic and think, what do they know about me? 
<laughs> so paranoia would set in, and it has before, actually. Good question. So, like, uh, so have you? I mean, like, have you ever got a, um, a sort of a medically dangerous reaction out of a, a member of the audience? No, I don't think so. But I tell you, I've ruined a gig in Sheffield once where there was three people on my right who were laughing so hard, but out of sync with the rest of the crowd, <laughs> that I got paranoid. And really, my performance really dropped. And at the end, I went back and I went, what, what was that with those guys? Were they all on drugs? And they go, no, they're big fans of yours. And I was like, oh, God. But they were laughing so hard. So I think they were fans and maybe on drugs. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I feel that the Venn diagram there is, uh, there's going to be a degree of overlap. But I'd kill someone with laughter. It's impossible. I've looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it strikes me as a good thing to research. I mean, it's It'd a, be good marketing, like I'm all over marketing. Yeah, exactly. Like I've, I've, yeah. Yeah. Tony Law, I've literally killed a guy. Like, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I'd see that show. Uh, cool. Awesome. So this one is, uh, this one's a little bit longer. This is uh, from uh, a James, not this James, another James. Um, so uh, there was a gig that Tony Law did once at the Viking Exhibition at the British Museum. And I think he thought it went really badly. Uh, brackets, not his fault. They broke off a small section of the Great Hall in the middle of the afternoon. So there were hundreds of tourists passing around in a giant echoey brightly lit hall while he was performing. Close brackets. If it's not appropriate, could you tell him that I was there and really enjoyed it? Uh, oh, my God. I love you. <laughs> That's the nicest thing I've heard. You know, I've had another person come to me at a gig and say that same thing. It was terrifying to me. I, I had no confidence. And it was like my, one of my favorite subjects and everything like that. And my favorite place on earth, the British Museum and all the scientists and the, the well, they're not scientists, but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. And I just felt like, wow, they really threw me to the wolves here. It was tough to concentrate. It echoed. Yeah. I mean, it's. But thank you for saying that, whoever you are. That was, uh, yeah, James. He's, uh, yeah, one of our regulars. Uh, lovely chap. Hi, James. Um, yeah, I mean, like, um, yeah, Dave also wanted to know about uh, your your memory of that show, um, like, and how it how it came about as a gig. I mean, I, I think I just want to pick up uh, before we move on to that answer about some of the points of like, even the best comedians will really struggle in like a poorly set up room uh, if you've yeah. got. Uh, a huge echoey hall if you've got limited amplification if you've not got a dedicated space like this is why going to gigs that are well run is super super important because if you've not got somebody paying attention to that stuff you are going to have a suboptimal experience it doesn't matter how good the comedians are within reason correct uh, you everyone's going to struggle the, the magnificent tony law will struggle in a huge echoey hall at the british museum with that For level sure. of passive footfall uh and huge echoey surrounds so it's uh, it's always something to kind of like bear in mind if, you, if you're running a gig uh if you would like some tips on how to do that from somebody who's done it in a lot of deeply suboptimal spaces over the years uh look me up on um twitter and i'll be happy to answer your questions um cool yeah so um yeah so how did that show come about the with the the, the viking stuff and the bm well, back then I was good friends with Mary Beard quite a bit. And I'd think oh, nice. I okay. didn't maintain that because I didn't feel uh, anyway. Long, She's good. Per like, I love her. But I was. Well, I went through a little bit of a phase where I needed to check out for a bit. Mm -hmm. But. um, Yeah, so always into history. They were I was on their radar. Um, a, a, a mate of Mary Beard. There's a lovely photograph of us online of. Uh, Unlikely friends uh, uh, <laughs> that they did in um, The Independent. It was me and Mary. Well, we used to like to have a wine together and hang out. And she'd come to my gigs. And I was her son, who's now like a director at the Met, 
in New York was uh, like used to babysit the kids. And it was just a magical time. I, I reached out and became friends with her on Twitter back when it was a, <laughs> a place for positive. Like my kids love history and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, it came about through that. And they also, the person organizing it knew that I, back then I used to have a lot of Viking material. Mm -hmm. Even though I did my um, my uh, 23 and Me, zero Scandinavian. I, I find that, looking at you, Tony, zero. I find that very surprising. That is... I mean, there's Scandinavian probably via Ireland. Uh -huh. I got eight types of Irish. Are there eight uh, types of Irish? 5% Nigerian. I was pretty pleased with that. Okay. Absolutely stoked. <laughs> but uh, only 5%, you know. And uh, no, no, no Viking. Just just all all the types of Irish. Um, That's basically my 23andMe. Uh, I don't think they're accurate yet. I, no, I don't think they are either. And uh, so it's my, my, my last question. Um, it was, um, if you could say one thing to yourself at the age of 18, what would it be? Oh, just just love yourself more, believe in yourself more. You know, just that. I mean, as cliche and simple as that is, that's basically it. Just just be nicer to yourself, and that'll allow you to be nicer to everyone else. Lovely stuff. Excellent. Okay, thanks for joining us, Tony. And um, thank you so much. That was super super great and really really lovely. Uh, if people want to catch up with your stuff uh, online, come see you live. Come and follow you on the things. Uh, where should they seek you out? Uh, Mr. Tony Law. Cool. It's the same one for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just Mr. Tony Law. Okay, this is a, a deeply uh, enviable level of brand unity. Congratulations. I'm, <laughs> I'm very proud of you. Okay, love yourself. Tony Law Tools made that happen. To who's Tony Law Tools? Yeah, a guy who had my name for Tony Law Tools. Tony Law is a tool company. <laughs> what a bastard. So he's, he's yeah. land grabbed Tony Law on everything. Yeah, he's Tony Law too, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Hey, thanks for having me. This is uh, awesome. I love you. I think you're a fucking fantastic human being. Oh. And I I always have. Always will. Well, then uh, my um, ability to cast that illusion um, has uh, <laughs> it's been very successful. So thank you very much. Uh, again, I'm a truly, truly terrible person. But uh, we've... Yeah, we all are, we, though. I know, that's I, the I beauty, know. isn't it? Uh, it's, it's almost <laughs> as if nobody can be a pure uh, paragon of virtue. Uh, and, and any attempt <laughs> to do that and not acknowledge human frailty weakness is, uh, is, is inevitably going to leave you with an imperfect view of human nature. <laughs> leave you miserable as you end up chasing an impossible goal. Okay. And I love when you do when you're comparing and you go on some of your tangents. I think it's absolutely exceptional. I've I wanted to make sure I said that before the end. You're very kind to say. We might have to edit that out because it sounds like it's a it's a planted remark. All oh, right, right, uh, right. But that's that's fine. Maybe we'll leave it. In. Maybe we'll leave it. In. Anyway, um, thanks again once so much for joining us, Tony. Um, I look forward to seeing you at Leopard soon. Look forward to seeing you in Edinburgh. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, say bye 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 to the listeners. Bye bye to the listeners. Bye bye. bye. Thank you. was the quantum leopard podcast uh, if you want to catch a live show in london look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash quantum leopard to sign up to the mailing list uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison but from each according to their ability to each according to their need so if you enjoyed our guests in your ears but we'd like them in your eyes as well uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard we only charge when a new live show video comes out if you enjoyed the show why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials editing was by uh, Reese Lawton, who is uh, 
Conventionally attractive and fun at parties. Uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services at, at I Am Rooks on the socials. That's Rooks with an E. Uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license, which means you can share it as much as you like, but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live. Uh, kind love and see you soon. Bye. Actually, I've changed my mind. Leave it in. He'll never find it. And if he does, he deserves to.